record on the cloud. Okay. Good evening, everybody. Happy Rosh Chodesh. Tonight is uh, tonight is Rosh Chodesh Shavat, which uh, which is uh, really special because uh, I recall that like we used to say that uh, just as Tuba'av breaks up the judgment, the Dean of the summer, and brings us right into the holiday season, the same is true of Rosh Chodesh Shavat. It really breaks the Dean of the winter and brings us into the Pesach holiday season with something really happening every two weeks from now until the summer. How do we, how do we calculate that? So tonight is Rosh Chodesh. In two weeks, we're going to celebrate Tu Bishvat. We're going to have, because it's the Wednesday night class, we're going to make a Tu Bishvat Seder via Zoom. We're going to send out a list at least a week before so everybody has a list of what to buy. And we're going to incorporate the Perasha and the Tu Bishvat Seder at the same time so everyone could really participate. It's interesting that the Mikubalim came up with a Seder that's very similar to the Pesach Seder that we do on Tu Bishvat. It's also the, the, that day, the Wednesday that day is uh, my father's yard site, so it's a very special day for us. Uh, then we have uh, Rosh Chodesh Adar. Then we have Purim. Even if it's a leap year, we have Purim Katan. And we have, uh, then we have Rosh Chodesh and Purim. Then we have Rosh Chodesh uh, for Nisan. Then we have Pesach. Then we have Shevi'isha Pesach. Rosh Chodesh Iyar. We have Lag Ba'omer. We could add Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Yom Yerushalayim. Um, and then we have Rosh Chodesh. Then we have Shavuot. Shavuot and already by then we're, we're in the summer. So really, today it is very, very special. It really begins a different, a different time period, a changing time period. It's also, also we're into the first full week. We completed the first full week, and we're into the second week of Shovevim. Shovevim is uh, from the beginning of Parshat Shemot, so it's really the Sunday before Parshat Shemot which would be about 11 days ago. That's when we begin. It goes on for the six parshiot, and some say during the leap year we add the two. So six to eight parshiot. And it's it's a time where people did a lot of introspection, almost like they would you would think that they would do in Elul in the high holidays. People would do a lot of introspection. People would fast. Uh, there was a custom in, in, uh, in Aleppo that people would fast for three days straight. Uh, the rabbis told people not to do it because it was so dangerous, and this would always take place during Shovevim. We're going to discuss a little more as we go. So you have to understand Rosh Chodesh Shevat is really, really crucial. We discussed many times there's a kavanah that, that relates to each of the months. There's a, a thought, there's a, a uh, something to concentrate on, a meditation maybe, that's a good word, that we have to have for each of the months. And each month is different. And we have this meditation specifically during the Musaf. It's critical that when we say, Mekadesh Yisrael Hodashim, in the Musaf Amida, when we see Hashem's name, Baruch Atah Hashem, Mekadesh Yisrael Hodashim, we have to visualize Hashem's name. Now, when we visualize Hashem's name normally, we visualize it as it's written the Yud and the He. And there's the Vav and the He. Now, if you take these four letters, a Yud and a He and a Vav and a He, there's really three because the He repeats itself. You could have 12 different permutations of those four letters. So you could switch up the letters, a Yud, a He, a Vav, and a He, the regular, or you could reverse them, or you could make the Yud, the Vav, then the He, the He. You'd, right, so you could you could make the letters different. So the month of Shevat, the way we visualize Hashem's name, is is Hey Yud Vav Hey, Hey Yud Vav Hey. We basically reverse the first Hey and the Yud, and it's Hey Yud Vav Hey. And this the Mikubalim tell us comes from a pasuk. The pasuk is from Vayikra, and the pasuk there says Lo Yevaker Ben Tov Lara. It's talking about a person who's committing to bring uh, offering. He has his every tenth animal he has to give. So he says, He shouldn't choose between good and bad. Whatever comes, 
Velo Yemirenu, and he cannot substitute. Veim Hamer Yemirenu, and if he substitutes, that means the one he substituted and the original both become holy. He's supposed to bring it for a sacrifice. He changes his mind. He says, you know, the one I was going to give, maybe I have a better animal. Or maybe he gets cheap and he says, maybe I have a worse animal. They're not going to know the difference. And he switches. What happens? He commits two sins. What are the two sins? The two sins are the one that he was going to give and now the one that he was going to switch. So now he has two sins. He gets double lashes, meaning 39 lashes twice, 78 lashes. Why? Because he changed and he switched the sheep. And the question the rabbis ask is, come on, what's the big deal? We can understand if you want to punish the guy if he's doing something inferior. But what if he just wants to do something better? He says, you know, I got a much better sheep. Why should I give that bad sheep to the better? Let me give the good sheep to sacrifice for Hashem. Let me switch. What's the big deal? He's not allowed to. Why not? If you do, both the original and the new one are holy. Both you have to give away and you get double lashes. Again, why? He decides to be a better Jew when he gets punished. No. The rabbis say it's not for that. The problem is one simple problem. You changed your mind. You changed your mind. And the question we have to ask is, what's so bad about changing your mind. How does it relate to this month, especially these times of Shovevim, that this is the Kavanah of this whole month? The Kavanah really that we have to think tomorrow is based on this Pasuk. We visualize Hashem's name this way in order to remind ourselves of the dangers of making a change. So I heard an interesting analogy for Shovevim. So we live on the beach Our backyard goes out to the ocean every day, summer and winter, when the waves roll by, we can see surfers. That's the advantage. We get to see the surfers surfing in the ocean. In fact, the yeshiva boys in the Masifta texted me today, can we come get the boards and we're going to go out surfing. So it's a wild and rough ocean with huge waves. For most people, it's very scary. But for a surfer, it's the greatest thrill. If a person understands the waves then the huge wave, which is dangerous for everyone else, for that person, is a huge, huge pleasure. This really is the key to understanding the waves of Shovevim. If you understand the waves and you understand how to ride the wave, it could be the greatest pleasure in the world. If not, you're going to get knocked down by the wave. This week we read the Perashah Va'era, second Perashah in, in, in the book of Shemot. This perasha really is a continuation of last week's perasha. Last week we had back and forth Moshe standing with Hashem by the burning bush, all these excuses, I don't want to go, send someone else. And Moses, he, Moshe Rabbeinu, finally goes to Paro. But it doesn't work out very well. Paro says they have nothing better to do than ask for a vacation. You know what? I'm not giving them straw anymore. Let them go collect their straw. Let them do this work, that work, the other work. And the people are not very happy. They've doubled the load of their work. They did not get a vacation. They did not get out of Egypt. They are not happy. And then Moshe disappears from anywhere from three to six months, depending on the opinion. So imagine, guy comes to town. I'm going to take you out of Egypt, people. Goes to Paror. Not only does he not take them out of Egypt, but things get much, much worse. And then he disappears. Now what? Things are terrible. Three months, six months, they are complaining. We don't know what to do. Please, Hashem, help us. So Moshe goes by and it's time to try again. The months go by, time to try again. But things don't get much better. Moshe returns to Hashem. And what does he do? He turns to Hashem and he says to Hashem, we saw at the end of the last week's Perashah, since I arrived, things only got worse. Why didn't you send me? Fast forward to the end of the Torah. The Midrash tells us, there's another argument that takes place between Moshe and Hashem. Moshe wants to go into the land. Please, Hashem, please, Hashem. Ba'et Hanan, Hashem. He prayed 515 times, Moshe. So Moshe turns to Hashem. He says, listen, Hashem, what are you going to punish me? I did the sin with the rock. Okay. Hashem, you forgive people one thing, two things, three things. I only did one thing. You should forgive me. Let me go. Hashem says to Moshe, you know, Moshe, I'm not counting. But it's really six sins. And the rabbis then list the six sins. 
And what's the big sin that they list? They list the fact that he argued with Hashem not to take the job. He didn't want the responsibility. He says to Hashem, they don't deserve to go. I can't speak. Send who you will send. And Hashem marks this on Moshe's account as a terrible sin. It says, comes back from Paro's palace and says to Hashem, listen Hashem, you sent me there. And Paro didn't send the people. He did the opposite. The people complained. Now Moshe is complaining. Hashem, I don't deserve the job. He's not going to listen to me. These are the sins, Hashem, that he can't go to Israel. How could it be? And it seems very true. We could all say, it seems his complaint to Hashem is absolutely true. Things got worse. Things got worse. Paro made them get destroyed. He made them work hard. Double the work. Nevertheless, this is marked against Moshe as a big sin. And this week we have to answer the complaint. And Moshe says to Hashem again, Why me? Why are you sending me? So the Pasuk begins, Elohim. We always say, Vaidabed Hashem. Hashem speaks softly, kindly. He loves Moshe here. Vaidabed Elohim midat adin. See Rashi. Rashi says, Hashem had to restrain the execution department who wanted to kill Moshe on the spot for arguing with Hashem. Hashem said, Moshe, chill. They're going to kill you. He told them, be quiet before something happens and don't ever speak to me like this. And then Hashem tells them, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, they never had a conversation with me like you have a conversation. You're talking to me, Aspaklaria. The rabbis say it's like looking through a piece of glass. We could imagine FaceTime on your, uh, oh, Zoom. You know, we'll see everybody at least, right? says the forefathers didn't have such a dialogue they saw only in a dream Hashem says I don't understand how come you're complaining I don't understand the resistance Moshe you should know better see the Rambam he says no one was or will perceive Hashem like Moshe so if Moshe understands so much why is he complaining why is he going back and forth Hashem says, I promise to give Eretz Yisrael to Bnei Yisrael. Please, Moshe, don't complain. So after this speech, you would imagine, Moshe is going to say, Hashem, I'm so sorry. Thank you for making sure the angels didn't kill me. He's going to bow his head. He's going to say, okay, please, Hatati, forgive me. And he's going to keep his mouth shut and do what Hashem tells him to do. And so Hashem turns to him, he says, Bo daber el paro melech Mitzrayim. Go speak to Paro, the king of Egypt. et Yisrael He should send Bnei Yisrael from his land. Okay, Moshe, so it's settled. You're going to go. But instead, what happens? Vaidaber Moshe lefnei Hashem lemor. Hen Bnei Yisrael lo shamu elai. Bnei Yisrael doesn't listen to me. Ve'ech yishma eni paro. How is Paro going to listen to me, the perfect Kalvachomer? If they're not going to listen to me and I'm trying to get them out, how's he going to listen to me? He doesn't want to release them. And I cannot speak. Again, resistance. He argues again. Hashem saves him from death, tells him, stop complaining, gives him a speech. Yet still Moshe complains, he refuses again. Hashem wants you to do the job. The Midrash says, as we explained last week, that Moshe complaining and arguing those original seven days delayed the redemption from Egypt for a full one whole year. They could have left the Passover before Moshe resisted. Terrible problem. Question is this. Moshe is chosen. He's the first Mashiach. He's the one Hashem revealed himself to like no one else. And the argument that takes place that we're reading in the Torah, we can't understand. It almost seems like a little kid arguing with his teacher. Now I'm not going to go. You go. Now I'm not going to go. I don't think I can go. What's going on here? You can't argue with Hashem. You could argue with a human being, but not Hashem. You're not going to convince Hashem. Maybe if there's a negative gezerah, a negative edict against us, you're going to pray to Hashem, switch to gezerah. But here... Moshe, he's sending you to redeem the people, to save the people. He's arguing with his master. How could a human argue with Hashem? We can't expect Moshe to argue in such a way and constantly go, no, back and forth, think Hashem doesn't know what he's doing. Moshe, what are you doing? And Hashem counts this as a sin against Moshe. 
Moshe, this is not free choice anymore. Hashem chose you. The argument seems to be mind-boggling. Save them. People are dying. Don't delay. Go. Continue the next pedic. But you omit Hashem el Moshe. Hashem says to Moshe, You're going to be a God. You are going to be a God to Paro. He's going to have to look at you as a God. He thinks he's a God. You're going to be his God. And Aaron, your brother, is going to be your prophet. You will speak everything that I command. And Aaron, your brother, will speak to Paro. And he's going to send B'nai Israel. That he send B'nai Israel from Egypt. I'm telling you up front, I will harden his heart. I will make many, many, many signs and miracles in the land of Egypt. So I'm telling you now, I'm doing all of this on purpose. is not going to listen to you. I'm going to put my hand in Egypt. And I'm going to take out my legions and my nation from the land of Egypt. With great judgments, with great uh, miracles, I'm going to destroy Egypt. We know the story. He goes to Paro, let my people go. Okay, you don't want to let them go, we're going to bring blood. Paro says, oh, blood, blood, no, 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 blood. Okay, because stops the blood. He says, no, I'm not letting them go. Next frogs. Oh, okay, okay, I'm going to let them go worship three days. Let them go, please let them go. The frogs disappear, ah, I'm not letting them go. Next lice. Okay, okay. Let them go. Get rid of the lice. Paro says they get rid of the lice. Changes his mind. That's the first three plagues. We're going to go through this the whole next week also. Sounds like a joke. Bring the punishment. Let them go. Stop the punishment. I changed my mind. What's going on here? Changes his mind. What's the purpose? What's the lesson of going on here? Why do we have this going on back and forth with Paro? I'm going to let them go. Don't let them go. If he doesn't want to let them go, he should never offer to let them go. And if he knows he's not going to let them go, why does he stop the plague? We go back to Shemot. Chapter 2, verse 16. And we're going to see that this changing the mind that we saw with Moshe, that we saw with Paro, begins really with someone else even worse. Ul Kohen Midian, and to the priest of Midian, Sheva Banot, he has seven daughters. But, uh, and they go and they draw water and they, uh, they fill up the troughs to water their father's flocks. Now the rabbis ask a question. Who is he, this uh, Kohen Midian? He says he was the most prominent among the people of Midian. He abandoned idolatry. And what happened then? They abandoned him. The Kohen Midian, he has seven daughters. This is the story. We know last week Moshe kills the Egyptian. He's approximately 20 years old. The Midrash tells us when he kills the Egyptian, he has to run away from Egypt. He runs away to Kush. He joins their army. He becomes the assistant to the king. And eventually the king dies. Moshe takes over. And Moshe becomes the king of Kush for about 40 years. He's the king of Kush. He's supposed to marry the queen. He doesn't marry the queen. Finally, the queen complains. He's not going to marry the queen after 40 years. Oh, she complains. Wow. And what does he do? He steps down because the children of the previous king now are old enough to run the country themselves. And he says, okay, you guys take over. I'm out of here. He's now 67 years old. He leaves Kush. He travels to Midian. On his way to Midian, he's, he goes to Midian. He comes to the well. Who's at the well? The daughters of the top guy of uh, the top guy of Midian. His name was Yitro. He has seven daughters. They go to the well to feed the sheep to draw water. What's the problem? The question is, why are his daughters going to take care of the sheep? Why doesn't he have shepherds to take care of the sheep? We saw in Rachel, no one would do business with Lavan. So Rachel had to take the sheep of her father Lavan because no one would do business. The Gemara says to us, Yitro tried every kind of Avodazara. Everything he did, he did, he tried. Until he came to the conclusion that Hashem is the true God. He does Teshubah. He gives up the idolatry of the temple. He says it's all nonsense. He gets up and he makes a speech. He tells the people, we're making a big mistake. You should all believe in a one God. Here's my oil. Here's my smokes. Here's my incantations. Here's all my spells. I'm done. I quit. What happens? The whole country excommunicates him. 
You have a guy like this that was the, the, the Pope, and now the Pope of the idolatry is going to tell you it's no good anymore. He's going to destroy our religion. Don't talk to him. Don't work for him. What happens? Nobody wants to work for him. Nobody wants to help him. Nobody wants to take care of his sheep. So who become his shepherds? His daughters. But no one wants to have anything to do with him. Not only that, they harass his daughters. Some say they threw them in the well when Moshe came. Here comes Moshe. He sees the daughters. He helps the daughters. And what happens after that? He gives them to drink. Vatavona. So the girls come el reuel avihen to their father reuel. Remember, Yitro has seven names. Vayomer. And they say, Madua miharten bo hayom. The father says to them, How come you was done so quickly today? How did you finish so quickly? He's used to the fights. He's used to having them deal and wait till everyone's done. They say, What happened? An Egyptian came. He saved us. He fed the sheep. The Midrash says Egyptian. One explanation was he looked like an Egyptian. Another is because he killed the Egyptian, which forced him to leave Egypt. That resulted in him coming there. Rashi says something else. Says that miraculously they saw that when he went to draw water, the water in fact rose up to him. So they come home and say, Daddy, this guy not only saved us, he is a miracle man. And Yitro, who knows a lot, recognizes Moshe as the seed of Yaakov. And he says, oh, you brought him home. I have seven daughters, no son-in-law, nobody wants to marry you. Let at least him marry one of my daughters. He saved them, he has a good heart, he's strong, he fought, he's a Sadiq, only a Sadiq, only a righteous person, the water would rise up for him. He knows he's the child, the children, the seed of Yaakov Avinu. He knows the stories when Yaakov went to the well. He knows the history of the Jewish people. Now remember at the beginning of the book of Shemot, Paro calls a meeting of the government ministers, says the Midrash, to discuss the Jewish problem. Bil'am says it's a terrible problem, get rid of them. The second advisor, Iyov, says nothing. He knows whatever advice he gives is not going to win. Yitro then explains to Paro, he's the third advisor, he says, Paro, forgive me, excuse me, but look at the history. Their great-grandpa, Avraham Avinu, he came here to Egypt. Look what happened with your predecessor when Avraham came and, and, and Paro tried to take Sarah. Look what happened. Everyone in Egypt knew. The images of Sarah were still on the walls of the palaces. We know Yaakov came to Egypt through Yosef. What happened? The famine stopped. Everyone knew that Yaakov was a blessing for the 17 years he lived there. And Yosef was the king of Egypt, the prime minister of Egypt, so to say. The prime minister in practicality ruling Egypt for 80 years. So what did he do? Yitro says, Paro, don't start with the Jews. Don't start with the Jews. Paro was very upset with this advice. He didn't want to hear it. He says, whatever the message was, he's going to kill the messenger. So he's going to have Yitro killed. Yitro finds out. He escapes, but not before he grabs his portfolio, his money, and the famous staff. The staff that Hashem gave Adam, and it was passed down through Adam, to, through Hanoch, through Metushelach, through Noach, through Shem, to Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. Yaakov brought it to Egypt. Yosef took it, and Paro's treasury took it when Yosef died. Yitro, when he was leaving, took the staff with him. Says, what happened? He leaves, he runs away from Egypt, Yitro. Why? Because his love and fear of Hashem and his love and fear of the Jewish people. Says the Midrash, Moshe arrives to the house. Yitro says, Moshe, you're here. I heard of you. Weren't you the guy in Egypt? Moshe says, yeah, I ran away from Egypt 47 years ago. You remember? He goes, yeah, I remember the story. What did you do then? He goes, well, there was this an Egyptian. He was killing a, uh, an Israelite. And I had to step up and kill the Egyptian. You killed a man? You're a murderer? One second. Takes out the phone, 911. Please come quick, I have a murderer. Puts him in the dungeon for 10 years. He was 67, now 10 years past, 77. Sipora comes to her father and says, Dad, remember the guy you threw in the dungeon? He says, yeah, what, what about him? He says, well, what do you think happened to him? He says, well, he got eaten up by the bugs. What do you mean? He's been sitting in a dungeon for 10 years. He says, come on, let's check. 
Sipora had been feeding him for 10 years. They go back, take him out of prison. He comes out of the prison. He comes to the house. There he sees the staff. He pulls the staff out of the ground. And uh, that staff, no one could pull out of the ground. It says Yitro had put it in the ground. So the Midrash says that Yaakov gave it to Yosef. Yosef's death, all his possessions were given to Paro. Yitro took it. He put it in the ground in the garden in front of his house in Midian. From then on, no one could pull out the staff until Moshe came. Moshe read the Hebrew letters on the staff. He pulled it out very easily. If you wonder where did the story come of the sword Excalibur, that's where it comes from. Says, so he says, now what? Now he pulls the sword out after he had put him in jail for 10 years. And he says, you know what, Moshe? I'm going to give you my daughter to marry her. Now he's going to give him his daughter. This is the guy. He lectured Paro. He lectured the Midianites. He tells all about Hashem. Then he convicts Moshe for killing a, uh, an Egyptian 40, 50 years ago. Justifiable homicide? What's the statue of limitations for justifiable homicide? Come on. Leaves him in jail for 10 years, comes out and says, now you can marry my daughter. What's going on here? But then there's one more sentence. It's very important to hear the sentence. Vayoel Moshe. Moshe consented. Lashevet et haish. To live with the man. Vayiten et sipora bito. And he gave him sipora, his daughter, le Moshe. The question is, what did Moshe consent to? What was the deal? What did he consent to in the deal? And here's the deal according to the Midrash. Yitro makes him swear. Your first son, no Brit Milah, do not raise him to know Hashem. Let him experiment with every Avodah Zarah on his own and let's see what he decides. This is the guy who quit the job as the high priest, who lectured people, who said no more Avodah Zarah. And this is what he's asking Moshe. Don't circumcise him. And don't let him learn Torah. And Moshe says okay. Which is even crazier. The Machloket in the Gemara says. When we read last week that Moshe got to the inn. And the snake was attacking Moshe to kill him. It was because there was no Milah. Who is the Milah for? One opinion it was for the new son Eliezer. But the other opinion it was for Gershom. He had never given Gershom a Brit Milah. And what happened? Sipporah never agreed to the deal with her father. So she gives the Brit Milah. This guy, Yitro, is the guy who says, Hashem is Hashem. This guy who leaves everything, this guy who risks everything, says, no Brit Milah. Then we jump to the portion of Mitro, Yitro. Ataya Dati, now I know. This is in Yitro, right before or right after Mahmad Har Sinai. For sure, after the splitting of the sea. Now Yitro says, Now I know that God is greater than all the other gods. Now you know Yitro. You gave the lecture to Paro. You told the, your own people enough with the idolatry. You quit your job as the priest. Yitro, why can't you decide? Why do you keep changing your mind, Yitro? What's going on here? We have Moshe can't stick to his mind. Paro can't stick to his mind. Yitro can't stick to his mind. Now, craziest story. The end of the Gemara Berachot in Yerushalmi. There's a story. The story also appears in Midrash. It also appears partially in the Gemara. We find it in Shoftim, in the book of Shoftim, the book of Judges, the Navi. There was a man. His name was Micha. Micha established a sanctuary for Avodah Zarah. He made a synagogue, a reform synagogue for Avodah Zarah in the town of Gerev. However, he wasn't versed in the ceremonies and he needed the services of a Talmid Chacham in Avodah Zarah. He needed a wise man who could be the high priest, the Pope of the Avodah Zarah that he's going to build in Israel, in Dan. While searching for the right man, a certain Levi passed his door. One thing led to another. Micha offers him an amazing salary as long as this guy will serve as the high priest for his temple of Avodah Zarah. He's hiring the chief rabbi. We go on. Shoftim, it says, Vayakimu lahem Dan, and the children of Dan set up for themselves et the, the, the idol, 
And it says, Ve'yehonatan ben Gershom ben Menashe. The Nun is missing in Menashe's name. It's little. Yehonatan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moshe. What? Hu banav hayu kohanim. They were the priests for the tribe of Dan until the day of the exile of the land. The Levite's name was Yehonatan ben Gershom ben Menashe. But the, the text is simply trying to hide the fact that it's really Ben Moshe to protect Moshe. Moshe who? Moshe. This Levi who dedicated himself to Avodah Zarah, the chief pope of Avodah Zarah in the land of Israel, was none other than the grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu. This is the Gemara, this is the Midrash, this is the Navi. He must have been a very, very old man. Moshe's grandson still alive. But that's what the Navi is telling us. Or at least the lesson. He's doing it for what reason? To make a living. He says, what do you do? A guy comes to him. He wants to kill a sheep or a pig or a goat or a pigeon to sacrifice to the Avodah Zarah. So Yehonatan says, hey, it's worthless. You want spirituality? I'll tell you what to bring. Bring a sack of flowers. Bring a sack of sugar. Bring a sack of salt. Bring eggs. He says, and he gets the supplies. And what does Yehonatan do? He takes it and he starts to make a bake shop. And he's selling baked goods out of the back door. Selling supplies out of the back door. To him, it's all a joke. But he needs to earn a living. So this is what he does. He becomes a priest of Avodah Zarah. The Gemara tells us he lives all the way till the time of David HaMelech. King David. And it gets more bewildering. Hundreds and hundreds of years, he's still alive. The Yerushalmi in Berachot relates that David HaMelech meets Yehonatan. And he asks him, I don't understand, Yehonatan. You're this grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu. Could you imagine what that means, the grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu? You say today, the guy's, oh, the grandson of the Baba Sali, bow down! The grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, what are you doing? How do you serve Avodah Zarah? Yehonatan says, what do you mean, David? This is the advice I got from my grandpa Moshe. What? Your grandpa Moshe told you to worship Avodah Zarah? He says, yeah. My grandfather told me it's preferable to give yourself to Avodah Zarah than to live, than to be a charity collector, than to be a mooch in the street. And since I had no way to make a living, I accepted the position to run the Avodah Zarah of Micha's temple. David HaMelech is shocked. He turns to, he turns to, uh, he turns to Yehonatan. He says, "How is it possible that, that you didn't understand what your grandfather was telling you?" He says, "Your grandfather was telling you it's better to work in avodah in work that is zara. Strange, if you cannot find work in your in your own profession, than to do work for charity." He was telling you to do strange work, not avodah zarah idolatry, avodah shehuzara avodah. That's strange. Imagine the lawyer comes to Israel from America, Argentina. He gets to Israel. He can't be a lawyer unless you're going to start over again. So what does he do? He takes a job, a strange job. He becomes a tour guide, a taxi driver, a yeshiva administrator. It's not. It's strange for him. David Amelech realized though that this Yehonatan is telling him the truth. He's a very honest guy. And he also sees that he's very attached to material things. So what does David do? He puts him in his cabinet. He appoints him to his cabinet. He didn't have to get approval from the Senate. And he becomes his finance minister. And he stays as the finance minister of David HaMelech for all the years David is king. What happens eventually, David dies. Shlomo HaMelech becomes king. And Shlomo HaMelech, you know, new uh, administration. Everyone in the cabinet has to resign. And we're going to get new cabinet members. So everyone in the cabinet of David HaMelech resigns. The Yerushalmi tells us that he returned to what he knew best. He didn't have a job, so he had to go get a job. He goes to Temple Emmanuel. He signs up, and now he becomes the high priest again of Avodah Zarah. This is Moshe's grandson. Going back and forth, Divrei Hayamim tells us, U Moshe Isha Elohim, Moshe, the man of God, his children, they're calling on the tribe of Levi. U Bene Moshe Gershom Eliezer, the children of Gershom, Moshe with Gershom and Eliezer, Bene Gershom Shebuel Harosh, the son of Gershom, Shebuel is the chief.
Who's Shavuel? The Gemara tells us it's Yonatan. Yonatan, after he went to David HaMelech, he decided he's going to return to God. Shavuel, return to God. So he returns to God. But what happens is when he gets fired by Shlomo, what does he do? He returns to the Reform Temple. What is going on here? But guess what? The story is not over. The Tanakh continues about this guy. Okay, we're not finished. He's apparently alive almost till the end of the first Bet HaMikdash, this grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu. The story is that after Shlomo HaMelech, he dies, what happens is his son Rehovam becomes king, and Shlomo attacks the people greatly. And the people said, you know, Shlomo to Rehovam, listen, your father taxed us, give us a break. And Rehovam, after consulting with his new cabinet, he says to the people, you know what? My father beat you with whips, I'm going to beat you with chains. And what do they do? They revolt. Revolution in the capital. And what happens is the ten tribes secede. They secede from the Union Civil War. And they're led by a guy who begins as a Sadiq, but he realizes that for him to have political power, he can't have any homage to Yerushalayim. His name was Yerovam ben Nevat. He's against Rehovam. And the story in Melachim, chapter 13, is he's standing by the altar. Now he has an altar to Avodah Zarah, Yerovam ben Nevat. And a man of God came, right? He comes at the command of Hashem. And he comes to Betel, and Yerovam is at the Mizbeach, the altar of the temple of Avodah Zarah to do, to bring Ketoret. Who was this man? Rashi says his name was Ido. Ido was a Navi. The Navi, this is what happens, he sees that, he says to uh, Yerovam ben Nevat, he says, you're slaughtering to Avodah Zarah, there's going to come a king, his name is Yoshiahu, he's going to take your bones, he's going to dig them up, he's going to burn them. And as soon as he finishes his statement, Yerovam goes after him to beat him with his sword or his fist. And as soon as he puts his arm out, it becomes paralyzed, completely paralyzed. And he starts to scream, I can't move my arms. I can't move at all. I'm paralyzed. Please pray for me. So this Ido prays for Yerovam that Hashem should heal him and Yerovam should come back. And he's restored. And what happens, he leaves. And Hashem tells him, when you leave... Don't don't stay. Leave this place immediately. Hi, Steve. Leave this place immediately. What happens? This nef, this grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu, he hears the story about Yonat, about Ido. He's Yonatan. He hears, wow, I'm here in the temple of Avodah Zarah. A real Navi came. I got to meet this guy. So he gets on his donkey and he's going to go meet him before he gets out of town. So what happens? He goes and he meets Ido. And Ido, remember Hashem told Ido, leave the city. Go back to Yehuda. That's it. You came to do what you're going to do. Don't stay anymore. But this grandson of Moshe tells Ido, Ido, come have breakfast with me. Ido says, no, I have to go. Hashem told me to go. He goes, Ido, I'm Moshe's grandson. Hashem spoke to me. He told me, go get Ido and bring him to your house and serve him breakfast. Don't deny me, Ido. I'm this grandson of Moshe. So he lies to him, even though Hashem told him, leave town. And he brings him to his house. They eat breakfast. And as they're eating, the grandson of Moshe, says the Navi, is visited by Hashem. And Hashem tells him at breakfast, he whispers in his ear, this guy, the reformed temple, Avodah Zarah, priest, Moshe's grandson he says you know what I told this guy to leave town he should listen to me and not to you he's a dead man walking and sure enough they finish eating and the grandson of Moshe doesn't tell Ido a thing and he sends him on his way and he's going to go follow him to see what happens and Ido goes out on his donkey and Ido goes about a mile away and a lion comes out of nowhere jumps and knocks Ido down Ido falls on his head and dies and what happens 
the lion does nothing. He doesn't attack the donkey. He doesn't attack the Navi. He just stands there and does nothing. Miraculous death. The lion standing there, not doing anything, no attacking the donkey. What happens? The grandson of Moshe comes, picks up the body, takes the body. Even though he's the cause of the poor guy's death, he doesn't tell anyone what really happened. He buries him in the city. And as his own last will and testament, the grandson of Moshe says, I want to be buried next to this guy, Ido. He puts a big monument up to cover two graves. This is the end. Eventually he dies. And as per his wish, he gets buried on the side of Edom. Jump to the rest of the story. King Yoshiahu, he eradicates Avodah He's digging up the bones like he promised of Yerovan ben Nevat. He's in the cemetery and he sees a monument and two graves. And it's very strange. They're sitting there side by side with a single monument. But on one side there's beautiful flowers. And on the other side, there's only thorns and weeds. He says, it's so strange. They tell him the story. He says, you know what? Don't dig them up. Leave them here. What kind of story is this? The Gemara, again, like I said, it's in Baba Batra. It's in Berachot in Yerushalmi. Moshe's grandson, he goes from being the rabbi to the priest, to Shuvai, becomes Shubiel, return to Hashem, David's finance minister, then he gets unemployed, he goes back to the Avodah Zarah, he gets the real Navi to, to get killed, he gets real Nevu'ah, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What's going on here? Why can't people stick to their guns? Why can't people make a decision and hold to their decision? What's the lesson that we have to learn? Now we go to the, to the Arizal. The Arizal, like we said many times, the word Neshama, Neshama is soul. Nun, Shin, Mem, He. Noach, Shet, Moshe, Hevel. Hevel comes, he dies, he becomes Shet, he dies, he becomes Noach, he dies, he becomes Moshe, Neshama. Says the Arizal. Remember that a person can't get killed for nothing. He says when Cain kills Hevel, it must be Hevel did something. Says that what happened, the Ari suggests based on the Midrash, that when Hevel went to feed his sheep, he took some of the hay that Cain had left aside. Says in the time of Noah, who explains the Rambam, Hilchot Melachim, that Gezel in that time thievery is uh, the death penalty this is what happened Cain is this really his special guy he's the first one to understand Hashem he's the first one to come up with an idea to offer a sacrifice his brother Hevel learns from Cain but when his brother Hevel's sacrifice is accepted and Cain's not he flips they fight his brother Cain they're going to kill each other, right? So what happens? Hevel is on top of Cain. He's ready to kill him. And Cain turns to Hevel and he says, Hevel, how are you going to kill me? What are you going to tell daddy? What are you going to tell mommy? What are you going to say to Hashem? As if Hashem is, what are you going to do? He says, okay, I'm not going to kill you. What happens? When Hevel pulls back not to kill him, Cain kills him. Kills his own brother. After preaching not to kill him. Hashem asks him, where's your brother Hevel? He says, who knows? Am I my brother's keeper? Hashem says, yo baby, I know what you did. Cain admits. He says, I'm sorry. He meets Adam. Adam says, I don't understand. You killed your brother and you're still alive? He says, I did Teshuvah. I didn't need a lawyer. Just Teshuvah. And we have Mizmor Shil. Adam Harishon realizes he heard from his son. It's good to admit to God. If you admit, if you do Teshuvah, you're fine. But right after he admits, right after Hashem says, okay, he goes back to his old ways. After Cain does Teshuvah, he raises his children to Avodah Zarah. Explains the Arizal. Moshe Rabbeinu is the Gilgul Hevel. He's the reincarnation of Hevel. Yitro, his father-in-law, is the Gilgul of Cain. We explained before what's the reason Cain and Hevel get in a fight. One is because they were fighting over the extra sister to marry her. That's why Yitro gives the 
his daughter to Moshe to make up for the previous life. Says Yitro is Kayin. Says the Gemara. Hashem doesn't trust even the holiest of the holies until the day of death. Why? A person might always change their mind. Yoshua Kohen Gadol. He's the Kohen Gadol, the high priest for 80 years. 80 years, the Kohen Gadol. It says in the end, he changes. Anyone can mess up at the end. Anyone could change their mind. How could it be? He's the chief rabbi. 80 years. How could he do it? says anyone could mess up, anyone could fall in the trap. Who's the model? Yonatan ben Gershom, the grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu. He takes after his great-grandfather. Who's his great-grandfather? Yitro. Now when they made the deal, Yitro, with Moshe, not to raise your son Gershom, and da, 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 Moshe was able to save his son. But the curse of Yitro affected the grandson. Back and forth, just like Yitro. Likes the Jewish people, doesn't like the Jewish people, preaches for God, runs from Parod, Sis Moshe's son have no pre milah. Who is Yitro? He's Kayin. Kayin back and forth, back and forth, changing, changing, back and forth. You have to understand the Haftarah this week. The Haftarah in it, Yechezkel, conveys a prophecy regarding Paro in Egypt. He foretells the fall of the Egyptian empire back in his time. And he says very clearly, Egypt merited this punishment for two reasons. They reneged on their promise to come to the aid of B'nai Israel. That incredible arrogance turning against and changing their mind to have respect of Hashem, instead insisting that the Nile was their God. He says, we have to understand Rosh Chodesh Shabbat. Hashem's name, we reverse the letters. It's crucial, Mekadesh Israel Verat. Visualize Hashem's name Not as Havaya Not as the Yud and the He and the Vav is the He But the He, the Vav, the Yud and the He The problem is We changed our mind We change our mind We say we're going to do one thing And we don't We promise to stick to it And we don't Where do we get this from? This is Kain This is Yitro This is Paro and even to a certain extent, we see infected into Moshe Rabbeinu himself. It's into Noah. Noah, we said Noah and Moshe are from Hevel. They're not from Cain. So what happened? Remember, Hashem tells Noah, go into the Teva. <laughs> he has to push him into the Teva. Noah doesn't want to go in. He doesn't believe there's going to be a flood. Noah, he just spent 100 years building, 100 years building an ark. And now you're going to tell me there's not going to be a flood? Hashem says to go. Says the Gemara, Noah ma'amin velo ma'amin. Noah believes and he doesn't believe. Heke, heke, little, little, half, half. He's like Yitro. How? Who's Noah's wife? Noah's wife is Naama. And who is Naama? She's the great granddaughter of Cain. A person marries his wife, she becomes part of him, and everything from him and her go into their children. Explains Rabbeinu Ari. All of us are the great-great-grandchildren of Cain. We get that hesitation, that changing our mind from Cain. We do Teshuvah. We return. Then we sin again. We come back and forth. We say, you know, Hashem, I'm never going to do it again. And then we do it again. What's going on? Even Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem says, go. Don't go. Go. Don't go. I don't want to go. Back and forth. What are you doing? Comes back to Hashem. Why did you send me? They don't deserve. I can't speak. Just go. Since I came, things are worse. What's the hesitation, Moshe? Even we see Shlomo HaMelech, the child of David. After he marries the women from different women, the, the daughter of Parol, everything that goes on, back and forth. The bottom line is a person can't keep his mind straight all the time. Last week we saw Yitro, this week we see Moshe, next week we're going to see Paro, back and forth, back and forth. All B'nai Israel, we follow Hashem out of Egypt. Then we get out of Egypt and we say we want to go back to Egypt. We go through the sea, we see the miracles at the sea, we come to the other side a few days later, no water, give us water, take us back to Egypt. After we get water, no food, we complain, 
We complain about Moshe. We're going to go after Korach back and forth, back and forth. We can't make our mind. This guy, Yonatan, the grandson of Moshe, however many hundreds of years he lives, is a lesson from his stories. Back and forth, back and forth. Can't make up your mind. Hashem tells us, the goal in this world is to be Ne'emani. Ne'emani, faithful. Make up your mind. Stick to it. There's a joke. Among the Goyim, the New Year's resolution lasts one day. At least by Jews, it lasts 10 days until we get to Yom Kippur. But a person has to know, make a resolution, you got to stick to it. Explains that Rabbeinu Hari, the power of the month of Shavat, the gift of Shavat, of Shavat, the Kavanah of Shavat, is that when we make this Beracha, we make a resolution that we're going to stick to it. And Hashem gives us extra strength to do so. Rosh Chodesh, Baruch Atah Hashem. We say, hey, a yud, a vav, and a hey, stick to it. Don't switch the sheep. There's no question. Shovevim is like a storm. But don't get drowned. Learn to ride the wave. There's a power of sticking. And the power of sticking to what we're going to do is the power of redemption. Last week, Moshe arguing is reminded the last day of his life of this arguing. There's certain people that they read a text during their lifetime. And that text, they say, in case during my life I change and I become a non-believer, I want any future declarations to be null and void. Why would they go through this trouble? Because it's human nature. We inherited this from Cain. We need to be aware of our faults in order to improve. And this fault that the rabbis tell us to be aware of, especially in this period of time, is this period of not sticking and doing what we say. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, since I went to Paro, things got worse. The book of Shemot, called the book of redemption, it's also called the book of Emunah. Emunah, belief, faith, Ne'eman. Ne'emani is faithful. If you want to be redeemed, if you want redemption, you need to be ne'emani. You need to be faithful. You need to stick to what you say. You need to get out of the trap. This trap of wishy-washy is the trap of the nahash, the trap of the snake. And this trap of the snake went into Cain. We see it in Noah through his wife, Naama. We see it in Yitro. Even in Moshe and the generation who left Egypt, where the lowest servant was as great as the greatest prophet. Last week, Hashem tells Moshe, Ra'oraiti. I did see. Why the double wording? Moshe, you have a gift to see all, but I didn't show you everything. You were shown, I will meet you on this mountain. You were shown, Har Sinai and Matan Torah, but I didn't show you 40 days later in the golden calf. And the question is, how is it possible to go to A to Z in so short a time? You see, the glory of Hashem on Har Sinai, the root of all belief, the root of anyone in the world believing in God, the whole world heard, everyone believed in Hashem and Moshe. And 40 days later, you're worshiping a golden calf and saying, this is God who brought us out of Egypt. Are you serious? But look at Yonatan, Moshe's grandson. Maybe an honest mistake. In the beginning, Avodah Zarah, Avodah Shehuzarah, strange work. But David tells him, Yonatan, you made a mistake. Come be my finance minister. He comes back. He returns. And what happens? There goes the return when he loses his job. Comes Edo. He lies to him. He must have regretted it as Hashem came to him and gave him Nevuah. But he's back to Avodah Zarah. Look at us. We go to Eretz Yisrael. We're supposed to get in. We send the spies. We're afraid. We don't go. They try to tell us Hashem is with you. This is the message of the Torah. This is the message of the Haftarah. The trap we are in is a lack of emunah. When the Mashiach comes, there's no longer doubt. There's no changing course. But the test is, can we achieve emunah before? Can we achieve emunah to bring the Geulah? Hashem sends Moshe, go to Paro, look at this guy, back and forth, all the flags, go, don't go, crazy. No, it's not crazy. It's us. We go. We reverse course. And this really is our test. 
Our test is to stick to the plan. Our test is to stay on the road. Our test is to grow by continuing through obstacles. Our test is to avoid what looks like shortcuts. Our test is to avoid what looks like forks. The rabbi used to tell me all the time, we're like a car on the road, on a highway. We fall asleep, we veer off the road. Teshuvah is the correction. You're driving, you're supposed to go straight. You sin means you go off the road. The problem is we often get off the road. We not only stop, we do a 180. We ride backwards on the road. We get off the train going to one way and we get on the train going the other way. Then we correct and come back and then we correct and go the other way. The test is really to stay the course, to overcome the doubt of the nachash, of the snake. The rabbi used to always tell us, you know, his yard site is... uh, the 8th of Shabbat, so a week from today, next Wednesday, next Wednesday night. It says, the rabbi said, the generation, our test in this generation is one test. The test is bitachon, is trust and faith in Hashem. You have to realize you're on the road. You're not really sure, you don't understand, but you have to know that Hashem is with, there with you. You have to trust Hashem to stick with it. When we do, then Mashiach could come. Rav Yaakov Hillel, the, uh, he, he said something very interesting. I'm going to just close with this. It's one more minute. He said, what's the purpose? He has a question. What's the purpose of all the miracles of Mitzrayim? All the miracles we have, miracle after miracle, and then the miracles at the sea, and then the miracles in the desert. We have the clouds, and we have the man, and we have the water from the rock, and all of these miracles happening. The miracles that we had, we experienced, those miracles tell us that those were the miracles that kept us going. But we live with miracles every single day. The same miracles, but our miracles are hidden. There's no guy who's wealthy who will tell you if he's really honest that he did it with his brain and his effort. He knows it came through Hashem. Some guys say every time they use their brain, they did worse than when they made a mistake and Hashem made them luck. We have to have trust. We have to have faith in Hashem. Not that we can't try. We have to try. But we have to recognize that it's really trusting in Hashem and realizing that the miracles of old were to remind us that every single day of our life is a miracle. It's a miracle whether we realize it or not. It's a miracle. And if we look deep enough, if we look into it, we'll see the miracle. We have to know to have faith and trust in Hashem. We have to know to make a commitment and stick to that commitment. And if we do so, when we do so, especially during these weeks of Shovavim, especially during these weeks of going from slavery to freedom, we also can go from slavery to freedom. How? By sticking with what we say. If we trust in Hashem, if we stick with it, then Mashiach can come. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the class. I think it was really, really interesting. I did it because I heard a crazy story about a girl. She was four years old. And uh, this four-year-old girl, she was on the street crying in Yerushalayim. And one of the Sadiqim came and saw her crying. And he said to her, why are you crying? And she said, I'm crying because my mother's very sick. And they brought her to the hospital. And they told us she's not going to make it. And this rabbi, who was the, the head of the generation... He took her up to her apartment. He saw it was a mess. He helped to clean up. And he said to all the kids, I think she was like the third or fourth out of the kids, only four years old, he cleans up and he says to the kids and whoever was with them, I'm telling you, Hashem is going to cure your mother. She's going to come home to be with you. And not only that, he tells this four-year-old girl, she's going to march you down the aisle in your wedding. Miracle of miracles, the mother recovers. She comes home. She has other children. This young girl who was four is 17. She's a beautiful girl, a brilliant girl. They bring her, she do one after the other. Doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. She's 19, still doesn't work out. In the 50s and 60s, when you were 19, you're already old maid. 20, 21, her youngest siblings are getting married. 22, 23, nobody for her. 24, 25, still nobody. She's never going to get married. Finally, she's 32 years old. Her youngest sibling gets married, and then she accepts a shidduch, 32. She gets married, 
the next day after the wedding, her mother gets sick and passes away. The rabbis say that this girl realized that this rabbi's prayer to Hashem was that her mother would live long enough to walk her down the aisle. But she wanted that gift for all her siblings and for all and for her mother also. And so she was willing to stick to her guns and sacrifice. I thought about that, and this is where we came up with this class. Unbelievable. Someone has to stick to their guns and they could really make miracles happen. May we all be Zohar that we should stick to our guns and make miracles happen. Thanks, guys. I'm going to unmute everybody if I can. Uh, let's see. Great class, David. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Great class, David. David, 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 quick quick question. If the guy who is bringing the sheep at the beginning, 